Hi, folks. So today we're going to be talking about the book The Glorious Cause by Robert Middlecoff. The book is a very comprehensive history of the period before the American Revolution, the American Revolution itself, and then the Constitutional Convention that followed uh, the aftermath of the war. And I really do think this is a special book. Uh, I'm actually not that widely read about the American Revolution proper, right? I kind of got the Cliff Notes version of it. And this is certainly the most um, expansive overview of the revolution, at least that I found. But it's expansive because it's able to do such a good job getting into the very granular details of not just why the revolution was fought and how it was fought, but the particulars of colonial life that can be really tough for people today to understand just because it's so different from how we live now. And the book probably devotes its first third to just setting the stage for the American Revolution by giving you an overview of how colonial society operated. And when you look at reviews online that are, are negative of this book, you know, the book's pretty widely regarded. It almost won a, a kill with surprise. But there are a lot of negative reviews of it because the first third has nothing to do with the American Revolution, and George Washington and other kind of key players don't really start to show up until about halfway through. But that first third, I think, really makes the difference for the book because it allows you to understand how these feelings came into being and the just kind of total cultural shift between people who came from you know, mostly Great Britain and, and a few other European, uh, European nations to this unsettled wilderness and the very unique cultural conditions that developed there in a place that was both isolated uh, geographically, but still kind of connected to mainstream European thought. So there are currents of European thought there, but they're expressing themselves in very different ways because you have kind of the ultimate middle-class petri dish, right, where you have all these very intelligent people. They're not confined by the traditional restraints of just, you know, government restrictions, right? Like it's, it's tough for the governments to enforce their will out there. Uh, but it's also not crowded, right? There's a lot of room. People can build a lot if they want to, if they have the money to. People can do things that they can't do over in King Great Britain or continental Europe. And kind of ironically, this greater freedom leads to a lot of greater intervention at the local level from communities. So, you know, you can kind of do whatever you want out there, right? The, the king, you know, has to send like an army unit out to like really like, you know, impose his will on you. But because everyone is a property owner and everyone is a... Um, you know, kind of a, an active agent in society, right? They're not just collecting a paycheck. They're kind of fighting for their existence. They're building something that's going to be lasting for generation. People feel very, very connected to the path that society is taking. And so there's a lot of very powerful local governments. There's a lot of very powerful state-level organizations. And the, just like everyone's kind of a player here, right? Like it's, it's, it's not... One of those situations where the majority of the population is very poor and they're kind of peasants and whatever happens to them happens to them, right? They're sacks of potatoes to be moved around. In America, even if you were very poor, you can do a lot, right? There are a lot of different paths that your life could take. And as a result, 
people were very invested in politics and not just politics, but like metapolitics, right? Their churches, um, other community organizations, like everyone's writing letters and everyone's reading letters. Um, people, you know, people thought that they could make things happen in their society and they were right. And it's this kind of agency that you see at, at the mass scale that I think really defines the American Revolution. You know, the book does a good job capturing the British perspective and kind of why the British were doing what they were doing um, in regards to their American policy. And honestly, it seems pretty reasonable. But he, uh, Middlecliff, also does a great job explaining the American perspective and just how the American perspective came to be fundamentally different. And even though the British policy seemed, you know, on its face to be reasonable, you understand why the American public in general became so hostile to it. And it, I think it, it really did come down to that widespread idea that the problems in your society are fixable by you. And so when the British authorities would mess up or they do something that was kind of clumsy, in the grand arc of the universe, it doesn't seem like a lot, but it seemed like an enormous amount to them because, you know, the Americans really could do it better. They really could govern themselves better than the people who were directing their behavior from overseas. The early chapters of the book are mainly detailing kind of how the colonial legislatures and British Parliament reached an impasse and... A lot of it came down to the fact that they were fundamentally speaking different languages and didn't really understand what they were, each other were doing after a certain point. So the, the colonists would extend an olive branch. They try to reach a compromise, and Parliament would see it as just another escalation game. And likewise, you know, Parliament would try to de-escalate things, but then they get you know, angry at the wrong people and alienate a lot of British subjects who normally would be open to Parliament's perspective um, and whose support they realistically relied on. Uh, but they would burn that bridge and the bridge doesn't get rebuilt. And at a certain point, if every single important person in American society or most important people in American society are moving in one direction, that inertia is felt by everyone. And so it becomes increasingly easy for people to sever themselves from the British point of view, even if they're sympathetic for, to it, even if they financially benefit from it. And by the end, and the book does a good job illustrating just how the revolution wasn't inevitable, but by the end, it seems inevitable because there's just this tidal wave of misunderstandings and nothing the British parliament did could be right, and the king's policy would never address their grievances. And the Americans kind of woke up en masse to the, the idea that they had a, a fundamentally different destiny, which they did. And the idea of destiny sounds like kind of melodramatic or like, you know, it's, it's like a little silly, like there's like a tax revolt or something like that. But no, it was, it was a lot deeper than that, and it, and it stirred people's deepest emotions. The book does a great job describing the kind of religious revivals that took place in America, and Americans began to see their struggle against foreign rule as a kind of religious struggle or a, a struggle between fundamental good and, and fundamental evil. So like there, there's like a uh, one of the most pleasant aspects of the book was you see that there's the heart of the Q-boomer in the early American colonists in that 
you know, they're, they're talking about how the British want to turn us all into slaves and there's this grand conspiracy to turn Americans into cattle. And it seems a little ridiculous, but if you play out what Parliament was doing, it's a lot more reasonable, just like with the Q boomers, right? Where it's like the specifics, hey, maybe, maybe a little fuzzy on some of the specifics, but they're fundamentally correct that there's something big and evil going on in the background, and it's got to be stopped one way or another. The book is a very, very entertaining, by entertaining, I mean, like, it's not funny, but it's very lively written military history of the uh, American Revolution that I just hadn't encountered before. And you get a good sense of how complicated everything was and the vast distances involved in the relatively small number of people and just how novel all the fighting was, right? Like you, you know, they don't have phones, they don't have traps. Every single thing that moves requires a lot of effort and coordination to move. And when you're conducting a war across such a large space, like it becomes infinitely complicated. And it's in this complication that I think, again, the book really emphasizes the incredible quality of the American revolutionaries on a wide scale. Um, and, you know, these were just incredibly brilliant guys, and these were guys who had very high agency. So they're faced with these tasks that seem very impossible, and they accomplish them, and they kind of go the whole nine yards. And it's only really exceptional people who could have done what they did. Like the, the book... At least one of my biggest takeaways from it was just an incredible sense of, of why people had so much reverence, like actual reverence for George Washington. Like he was an incredible guy. And the sort of achievements that he pulled off militarily are extremely impressive. And you really get a good sense of that from like your history course in school. But like you understand in reading the book why people loved him so much and how much, you know, how much talent he had and also how much personal integrity he had. But he, um, he always had that kind of, you know, gravitas to him. And even though at the start of the war, he was kind of a, a militarily inexperienced commander, he grew into a great man. And it was undeniable to anyone who encountered it that he really was a, a man of history, like a truly great man. And so you have all these great personal sketches of the characters from the American Revolution, but there's also a lot of attention to the mechanics of combat during that period, which is, which is interesting and it's just satisfying to learn about this stuff. So line infantry, it seems really dumb looking back on it, but you know the author does a great job explaining why military strategists and military technicians settled on lion infantry and those very uniform and, and, you know, again, it, it seems silly to walk in a straight line towards the enemy all bunched up together, but like you understand, you know, in reading the book, why they settled on that. And he takes you through just all the steps that, that were involved in loading and firing a musket. It's a lot more complicated than it's than you would imagine at first. And that's something that you had to do under pressure. You're tightly packed together because your guns are inaccurate and that's the only really way to bring a lot of firepower onto the enemy at once. And it's these little details, you know, the look would have been okay without them, but it's made really exceptional by the fact that it knows that you don't necessarily know the specifics and the specifics add a lot to the story. So you get this very entertaining military history, 
And then it's followed by what I think was kind of the defining moment of the revolution, which was its aftermath. And a lot of revolutions, they start out with maybe goals that seem superficially admirable, and then they just become these complete nightmares. But the American Revolution was not like that. In fact, something beautiful came out of the American Revolution, and it was, uh, you know, there's America, but there's also this wonderful explosion of creativity and progress and growth, right? America is a very future-oriented country, and it was that way for hundreds of years. And the Constitutional Convention kind of brings all these players together, and there's the real opportunity for them to fall apart and turn on each other. And I don't want to say undo all of the struggle that they had, had gone through to achieve their independence, but to just become something less than what they did. And there's actually a great moment where, like, negotiations reach a complete impasse, and the, like, all the principles suggest just like calling the whole thing off, right? Calling the Constitutional Convention off, everyone goes back home. And, you know, instead of one big, great country, you just have a, a, you know, a bunch of different countries that kind of have divergent interests and don't really like each other very much. And everyone, like, you know, once that's said in anger, there's kind of this period of silence. And then everyone kind of realizes how much would be lost if that was the case. And they all come back together and they sign the Constitution and America is created in its current form and everyone lives happily ever after. And this kind of, of remand and the ability to kind of close the deal, again, is something that you really only could have seen from exceptional people. And, you know, this is mentioned early on when the states first start trying to coordinate their grievances with Parliament. You know, they all come together for these early pre-revolution conventions, and the state representatives are very impressed with each other, right? Like, they knew that they were dealing with these great people, and that's what America was. It was like a great person factory. You, you know, if you're smart, um, you have the opportunity to build something big. You have the opportunity to rise to a high status at a level that was not really possible in pretty much anywhere else in the world. And so all these people are very impressed with each other. The revolution happens. Everyone kind of knows they have differing interests, right? Like someone's going to win, someone's going to lose. And yet they're able to put themselves aside and come together to build something. And again, this is something that like really only very smart people who are operating magnanimously you know, are able to do. And again, this, this magnanimity like is definitely is tied to George Washington during the convention where the book describes just how jealously everyone guarded Washington because Washington was one of these figures who emerged from the revolution with the most impeccable reputation. So he was this very impressive military leader. He was this very impressive political leader. But then when he had the opportunity to become king of America or whatever, you know, dictator or whatever, uh, he declined. And, you know, it's because he was this exceptional guy and like every, like, um, I think it was Tolstoy, uh, some Russian author mentioned that Washington was spoken of in this Siberian prison where he's like this, this, uh, you know, real life mythological figure who had the world at his fingertips. And because he was this like superhuman figure, turned down the power and handed it over to, you know, the people in his country, right? He wasn't in it for himself. He was in it for the, you know, grand arc of history and freedom. And Washington, during the Constitutional Convention, 
he kind of knows it's a shit sandwich. And so people don't want him to participate because they don't want him to be tarred with any of the kind of political shenanigans that are going on during the convention. But Washington knows that he has this responsibility and he knows that he has this great ability to kind of be this mediator. And so he, he risks his perfect reputation to come and kind of win a hand to the proceedings. And it totally pays off. And, you know, again, they reach an agreement. And, you know, especially in right-wing politics today, people are unable to manage disagreements in a healthy way. The disagreements are, are realistically pretty low stakes. And the American founding fathers were able to manage these titanic disagreements. And it's because they were like, you know, good, pure of heart. You know, they really had good intent. And they were these extremely smart people and could kind of make something work for everyone. Um, and again, that's a very rare ability. That's like a, an ability that only exceptional people have. And normally this problem is solved in big political shakeups by just one person telling everyone to kind of fall in line. But that was never the case in America, right? It didn't take Washington assuming dictatorial powers to get Congress to create a mutually beneficial agreement. Everyone understood the need to do this thing and they wanted to preserve the very good thing that they had built. And so, you know, with this in mind, I'm not sure how applicable many lessons of the American Revolution would be to our current political predicament, just because the country has changed so much, and even right-wing politics have changed so much. But it is reflected a lot of really long-standing problems that come up in every political movement. And I guess it's, it's important to know at least that you, you know, this stuff is not going to come together on the fly. And you really need to cultivate people who are actually capable of building something like that long term. And again, this is not people who just walked in off the street, right? Like, you know, George Washington, even if he hadn't become president, even if he hadn't become this big successful general, he was an undeniably impressive figure. And you see this a lot with the, the new kind of coalition that people are trying to build where they want it to be like, you know, we're, we're angry about being uh, downtrodden and, you know, we're poor and the rich are taking advantage of us and we're just the eternal losers of life. And, but we're not going to take it anymore, like that sort of thing. And yeah, I got to say, guys, like from a, uh, like building something that's right wing, I don't think that centering around that message of like, having lost and being subjugated is going to be very effective. I think really what's going to win out is like, is, is quality, right? Like, you know, the cream rises to the top. In America today, you have all these exceptional people. They're lopped out of a lot of uh, prestigious positions for very dumb reasons. And the people that are put into those positions instead are often like, you know, morons or freaks. And that sort of perverse arrangement it's a little bit antithetical to America, right, the, the meritocracy nation. Uh, but it's also something that is not going to last forever. At least it won't last forever unless people allow it to last forever. So I, I, I think, like, again, uh, this is a common thread for me, but, like, you should not wait for, like, the masses to get angry enough for regime change to happen because if the masses get angry enough for regime change to happen, I think you get a pretty standard revolution, which is, like, a left-wing victory, right? The, the, the French Revolution was this kind of revolution that was, you know, largely from the bottom. 
you know, is lent by these very resentful middle-class lawyers and, and a lot of people who aspire to take the aristocracy's position. But in reality, it was just these like mobs going around murdering people. And it just became this complete nightmare. And in America, it was, you know, kind of this, I don't want to say revolution from top, right? Because, you know, a lot of these people weren't, um, you know, they weren't aristocrats or whatever. They didn't really exist in America, at least as it did in Europe. But they were like the middle, right? There are people who would be at the top of, uh, you know, the middle, middle, middle upper class, uh, you know, people who realistically would be at the top of society through their abilities. And, you know, again, this is their abilities are really impressive. And you get a sense of the, uh, from the book of that, right? Just how high quality all of the founding fathers were. These were very, very brilliant guys. So even though we're kind of working with a different set of tools than the American revolutionaries were. I think this is a very good book to read just because you see a lot of commonalities with the problems that we have today, but you also just gain a new appreciation of, of how special America was and is. It's, it's good to have those deep roots. It's good to kind of know where you came from and, and be proud of it. You realize how bad the situation is and you sometimes take that out on Americans like all oh, these stupid people how could they have gotten rid of their king right you know there's like the temptation to be like totally in our acts off his dick whatever and it's like oh if only if only people didn't vote if only we didn't have this like stupid democratic system and like I don't know like you can kind of make that argument I mean it might seem appropriate today but like that argument doesn't stand up to any scrutiny if you know a lot about the American Revolution or if you even had a passing familiarity with the American Revolution just because of how incredible all the people involved in the American Revolution were and how miraculous it was that they set up a system like that successfully and that it went on to be not only survive but thrive right? America was the most powerful country that ever existed. And the fact that it, it came from this kind of one-of-a-kind, totally magnanimous revolution that didn't turn into a bloodbath, that was on mostly principle, right? There were economic factors, but it really was mostly principle. You know, that's special, right? America is a, is a special place. So, I don't know. It's good to, to have that history at the center of your thinking, especially when you're thinking about, well, how do we help America? Right? I know a lot of, um, you know, the changing demographics of the right, they're resentful of these stupid Anglos and their democratic system and all. We need to change it so much. I don't know, guys. If we return to something even close to uh, what the founding fathers envisioned, I think pretty much all of the problems would, uh, today would be solved. So in conclusion, this book is really good. I didn't detect any of the kind of problems that you normally find with modern histories in it. Like maybe I just ignore it. But um, yeah, there's no like weird centering of perspectives that really weren't that important during the time period. Like, you know, it's not taught to you about the horrible atrocities of slavery or something like that, which was, you know, people thought about it, but it obviously wasn't the animating spirit of the American Revolution. Um, it is something that people only focus on for pretty cynical contemporary reasons. So that's not really present. The book was written originally in the 1980s, and I think you got a second edition sometime in the mid-2000s, and they just added a few chapters. I, I didn't notice anything that was substantively different. So I'm not sure what there's word, but like the second edition is, is also good to go. Yeah, I'd really strongly recommend it. Like just add to the hopper. It'll enhance your understanding of your history. History is so important. 
oftentimes uh, people just lack the mental models to understand problems they're encountered with that they, that they face today. And there are so many problems um, that get resolved during the American Revolution. And like, you don't know when they're going to come up, but, you know, it's good to see how very smart and well-meaning people solve problems in the past. And there's also just a general uh, good takeaway, which is that your problems really are solvable. I see so much passivity all the time. People kind of resign themselves to their fate. All things are bad. They'll always be bad. They're just going to get worse. And that can be true, uh, but it doesn't have to be. And it really just takes like an active effort. And the American Revolution, uh, the American revolutionaries, they never had a clear path ahead of them. Nothing was ever set in stone. The revolution didn't have to happen. Um, the revolution could have been fresh in its infancy. Uh, nothing really had to happen, but you had these great men who made something happen, and they made something very good happen. And that's rare. It's, it's something to learn from, and it's, it's something that uh, should kind of form the scaffolding of your thinking, right? Like, get up, do something. Come on, guys. So, yeah, I, I hope you read this book. I think it would help you out a lot. It really, like, I enjoyed it uh, so much. I got myself, um, yeah, I, I read it in print, and I listened to the audio book just because I, I liked the book. It's a good uh, kind of, like, have in the background. So, uh, yeah, like, you know, 10 out of 10, most important book of all time. You had to fucking read this or else you're going to die. Uh, go get it now. So that's all for this week. Um, I, I admit it, I coughed. I didn't want this to be a free episode. I only wanted to do the RoboCop episode. But um, I'm looking at the viewer counts. Free episodes are the only really good way to expose content to a wide number of people. I'm not going to make a habit of this. Yeah, this will be the last one. I promise I'll, I'll slash, you know, slash my wrist if I make another free episode. If you enjoyed this episode, please become a paid subscriber. There's going to be more paid exclusive episodes coming soon. Paid subscribers, I love you very much. You will be getting the good stuff um, while free subscribers get slop and trash, which is all that they deserve. Uh, just worthless people. Things cost money in this country. And I'm, I'm sickened by the unwashed free subscribers who really drag the, uh, the whole substack down. And one, one day someone's going to do something about all these free subscribers. And when that great man emerges, I'll be right behind him, um, cheering him on. So, um, yeah, free subscribers, prepare for the day of vengeance. Like, your, your time is coming. Paid subscribers, I have nothing but good things to say about you. You're all beautiful. You have rich inner lives. And you're really helping me out a lot. Like, I, I genuinely do appreciate all paid subscribers. So, yeah, new episodes coming soon. Um, I got one on the killer coming up. And then we'll, we'll be, I'll subject myself to Napoleon. So, yeah, I'll see you guys then. Bye.